You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Again, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, shall never die. As we honestly reflect through history, we see that those who believed in the resurrected Jesus Christ were forever changed. Think about it. The powerless, wimpy, misfit, unqualified disciples turned the world literally around in the first century and beyond. They took the message of the cross and of his resurrection, and people and institutions were radically changed for the good. One has said this, the disciples were a blazed boldness, risking their lives by preaching that Jesus was alive. And even in them preaching, as many even today are faced, die as a result of preaching that faithful message that Jesus is alive. Well, how did believing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ affect the disciples? How does it affect, change, and impact us? In the authentic biblical gospel, God promises you more than mere forgiveness of sins, which is amazing in itself, and a reservation in heaven, which is also so glorious. But he also promises us, those who have put our faith in this Jesus who died and rose again and now is ascended and reigning on high, a new record and status a new heart and power, and a new hope and an inheritance. So let's first look how, if we put our trust in the resurrected Jesus, we have a new status, a new record with God. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says this in chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, and according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He continues to his letter in Corinth. He says this, For our sake he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, him, we might become the righteousness of God. And then in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John says this, but to, him, to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What these passages are reminding us is that God promises to save those who believe in Jesus Christ from sin's penalty and consider them as his righteous, beloved, chosen children forever. Let me focus on two of those things. Because of the death and resurrection of Christ, what he has given us. 
First, a righteous record. As the just judge God, he promises to accept the sacrificial work of Christ as satisfying his wrath against humanity and now considers humanity's sin imputed on Christ and Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to those who put their faith in him. Think of it this way. Think of an innocent man who stands in the place of a condemned prisoner. That's what Jesus did for us in his death. And because he rose again, we now have a new righteous record. We are declared righteous, and we are seen as righteous before God. Let me show you an illustration. I know if you know, this book tells of all my sins. It records all my present, past, and future sins. It's a pretty thick book. It would be even thicker. Right? This is my record, my record of sin. This record that keeps me from Christ, keeps me from God. But there's another book, another record. This is the righteousness of Christ. This is Christ's perfection, Christ, his perfect love, his perfect mercy, his perfect holiness, his perfect goodness. This is Christ's record. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a great exchange. Jesus took our sin. Our sin was placed, imputed on Christ. But also what happened, it was a double exchange. Christ's righteousness has been given to us, placed on us, imputed to us. So now, because of Christ's death and resurrection, God sees us as he sees Jesus, righteous in his sight, accepted in his sight. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good news? That we have this record because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But not only that, this new record and new status includes that we are now part of the family of God. As a gracious father, God promises to accept and love those who believe in Jesus Christ as he accepts and loves his one and only son. We're adopted. That's why Paul in, in Romans and Galatians encourages us to cry out, Abba, Father. Right? We receive the spirit not of slavery again, but we receive the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption. See, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are forever adopted in God's family. Some of you know that Val and I's story is that we had two of our kids are adopted. Samuel's now 20, Amanda's now just turned 19 yesterday. And we had them since they were six weeks old. We adopted them through Bethany Christian Services. So as you go through the adoption process, you have to go through a lot of, jump through a lot of different things. And finally, there's a day that comes when you come to the judge you go to the courthouse, you go to the judge, you stand before the judge. We're all kind of nervous here, right? What's he going to do? What's he going to say, right? And, and, but when you get there and you're, you're excited, but you're also nervous, but, and then when, when it's finally done, the judge will come and say, Samuel, Jeffrey Rickett, I declare you a son of Jeff and Val Rickett. Amanda Grace Rickett, I declare you a daughter of Jeff and Val Rickett. Imagine that because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, God looks at Jesus and he said, whoever your name is, put your name in there, put your faith in Christ. I see you as my son. I see you as my daughter forever because of Jesus Christ. You are adopted in the family of God. As we were excited and emotional during that day and even today, as I think of it, 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 it stirs my heart. Think even more that as God sent his son Jesus to accomplish his 
amazing feat that you can call God your father, and he calls you very personally his very son, your son and daughter. Celebrate that. You have been given a new record. You've been given a new status. You are declared and seen righteous. You are part of the family of God. So what? Often we struggle, though, with this identity, do we not? No, Jesus' record ultimately is what identifies us, right? But often we strive for righteousness. We think we have to do more. Or, you know, we get this do-it mentality. Or even we think our sin disqualifies us from, from God's favor, God's acceptance. And we're often blind to this new identity, this new record, this new status that he's given us. This is how it works in my life. Maybe it works in your life. I rest my identity often in my performance. I feel more satisfied when I'm successful in something. I'll get my work, my preaching, my parental skills, my counseling, my relational skills, right? If things are going well there, then that seems, I'm, I'm happy. But if things, things are struggling, then I get kind of disrupted, right? It shows that I'm not ultimately placing my identity, trusting and resting in the identity that Christ has given me. Just think about it. Go to any bookstore, a Christian bookstore, there's tons of self-help books that tell you how to be a better father, how to be a better mother, how to be a better worker, how to be a better boss, how to be better in your marriage, how to be, you know, whatever. You fill in the blanks. There's a lot of better than this, right? It feeds this idea that we need to perform to get some kind of acceptance. But God, this is a radical nature of grace. We don't have to do anything other than to come, casting our sins onto Christ. Say, take it, forgive me. We forgive our sins and make us new, and he does. He sees us new. He sees us in Christ. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, our primary and ultimate identity is in Christ and Christ alone. God has given us a new record and now has set us apart to reflect his righteousness, his love, his mercy, and his grace to others. But friends, not only do we have a new record for those who believe in Christ, we have a new heart and a new power because of the resurrection. The same spirit, think about this, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. That's an amazing, radical, immeasurable power that raised Christ from the dead now resides in us, bringing us a new life and a new power to grow in Christ-likeness. We cannot separate this new record from this new heart and new power. Because think about it, what if we were given a new record but no new power or heart to live the Christian life. That would be hollow and empty because you would soon fall if we had no power to live out this Christian life. But if you were given a new power but no new record, you could change, but you would still stand condemned because your past would not have been dealt with, been erased. But in the resurrected Jesus Christ, you get it all. We have a new power, a new heart from God. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 6, 5 through 14. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. No one has died, has been, for no one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Doth death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not your sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make, your, to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sins as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought, bought from death to life, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What this message, this passage is reminding us, and its meaning is that God promises to those who, those who believe in Christ, from sin's domineering, sin's controlling, sin's overbearing power over our lives, and by freely giving us a new heart and a new spirit to empower us to know God, to honor and enjoy him, but also to follow him in his ways. Yes, there's still going to be a sin's ongoing influence in our lives until we die or to the new heavens and earth come. But God promises us through Christ to deliver you from sin's domineering, controlling, overbearing power today. See, the Holy Spirit gives you the new heart and new power to grow in Christ's likeness, to fight sin, to freely live in his righteousness, to freely love those who may even be difficult to love. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of trusting in the person and work of Jesus who died and rose again. So, so what? What does this mean? Well, we are now, listen, we are now set free from enslaving power of sin. We are free from the condemnation of the law. Before we trusted Christ, we were condemned by the law. We are called to live perfectly. That's why Christ came, because we couldn't live perfectly. And because of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection, we are no longer condemned by the law anymore. The law is no longer what is our measuring stick. Christ is the one who defines us now. And so we are now dead to sin. And now we have, by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, power over Satan who tempts us with worldly Christ replacements. We don't have to be controlled by our sins, our pride, our selfishness, our unbelief. We are free. This is an amazing truth. Because of Christ, Spirit raising Christ in the dead, the same Spirit now frees us to live and act and to think and believe in Christ-like ways. I'm a tennis player. I love tennis. And before I became a Christian in college, my behavior on the tennis court it was much like John McEnroe, if you know about John McEnroe. I would get upset. I would sometimes throw my racket. I will say things that I cannot say here. But when I became a Christian, God began to work on me ever so slowly at times. But it gave me a new desire, a new desire to, to, to trust him in these things. I don't have to get my life, my, my satisfaction, how well I hit my forehand or how well I put the topspin on the ball or how well I lobbed it, right? Yes, that's all good, but if I messed up, I don't have to be destroyed by it, but I can, by God's grace and by the power of the Spirit, exercise control and not to get angry. And he continues to work on me on that. Or even in the sense, I know before I was a Christian, I, would really, I, would, I don't know if I really had a really heart for those who are broken or those who are struggling. And as, a, as, as God began to do a work in my life, God began to convict me and, and gave me a conviction to, to care for those who are the least of these, to have a 
heart to come alongside those who are broken. But that's all the work of the Spirit, giving me the, breaking me of my, the dominion of sin in my life and giving me the ability to live as Christ because I have this new power and new heart because of the resurrected Jesus. That is true for you as well as you think about areas in your life that God has changed you and needs to continue to change you. Not only do we have a new record and a new heart provided through the resurrected Christ, we have a new and lasting hope. We have an inheritance. Listen again to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus in chapter 1. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Or Paul, in his letter to 1 Corinthians, says this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. These passages remind us of one day of all your struggles will be over. And he will bring you to your eternal home, a place where he'll wipe all and every tear from your eyes, and will make all things new. But we now have hope now for this future inheritance. There's a st I love the story in Luke 24, verses 13 and 35, that reminds us of where we're headed. It's a story of the, some two of the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and they were discussing the events that they just witnessed regarding the death of Jesus. Follow along as I read from this Luke, 4, uh, Luke 22, 24, verses 13. That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that, are, that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Calipus, Calipus answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that had happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And, he, and they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, word before God and all the people, and, now, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all that, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, and they were at the, at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, but they did not see him. 
verse 21, they confess one of the saddest phrases found in scriptures when they said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Have you ever had your hopes dashed right in front of your eyes like these disciples just felt? Well, when Duke lost against Kansas in the Elite Eight, my dreams were crushed. Sorry, Maryland fans, I am a Duke fan. I'm also a Maryland fan. I know it's kind of a contradiction, but they're in two different conferences now, so I think I can get away with it. But on a more serious note, the loss of a dream job, the collapse of a meaningful marriage, a failed test, rejection of your college choice, rejection of a boy or a girl. We know we're in trouble when we speak of hope in the past tense. Think about it. We have all kinds of hopes. Hope that we may meet the person of our dreams, which I did. Hope that our marriages will thrive. Hope that our children will grow to make good and right decisions that they will mature. Hope to get out of debt and have no financial worries. Hope to be healed of disease and suffering and have, they don't have to take any more medicine. Hope for loyal and trusted friendships who stay with you no matter what. Hope for our church to reach all kinds of people. Hope for no more wars, no more poverty, no more corruption. Hope to grow in our own relationship with God and get control over those sins that continue to haunt us. As a result, many times our hope in God turns to doubt. Does he really care? Is he who he says he is? That's what the disciples were wrestling with in this journey. But listen as the conversation continues. Picking up at verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them, to, to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when, was, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we walked on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And then they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. When the disciples finally realized whom they were talking to, they were transformed from hopeless, depressed men to two guys who were overjoyed that they likely sprinted seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. See, the resurrected Jesus gives us hope as well. You are and will be made new in both body and soul and delivered not only from sin's dominion power, but even from its presence. 
Presently, yes, we live on the continuum from slavery to and freedom from sin. But this new inheritance that God promised you is cosmic. The good news is that because our God reigns, there is a new world coming where all things that are now crooked in our lives, crooked in our churches, crooked in our culture, will finally be made straight. There will be no more wars, no pollution and decay. There will be no more relational conflict like jealousy and pride and selfishness. There will be no more poverty, no more death, no more brokenness, no more sin. There will be peace among the nations, peace within our relationships, and peace in our lives. See, God promises that one day all of creation will be made new as he makes the invisible kingdom visible over every sphere of life. And in this promised new heaven and new earth, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order will be passed away and paradise will be restored. Because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, this is true for us. We have a new hope and a new inheritance. Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes it in his children's series on the Chronicles of Nonary, the last book, the last battle. He says this. As he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. We can only most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. That, if you're in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, what we have to look forward to. The vision, this vision of the good news of the coming kingdom accomplished by the resurrected Christ and met, is meant by God to serve us as a fuel for the gospel to flame in our hearts and to spread through our church and our city and to all nations for the glory of God. See, in Christ, we have everything. We don't need anything else to fill us up. We have Jesus Christ. And this is truly mind-boggling as we consider the greatness and the glory and the mighty and the gracious and holy God. Yet, those who put their faith in Christ, you are the temple of God. And God resides in you through his spirit. And you are his and he is yours. The resurrected Jesus has accomplished all of this for us. Given us a new status and record. Given us a new heart and power. Given us a new hope and inheritance. So that we live in this world. We will have influence and impact for good. Friends, he is making us more like him to live godly lives in a world full of temptations and vice. We are empowered with this resurrected power, partnering with God to make all things new. Friends, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen One more time. He is risen. Please pray with me. Right, risen and reigning Lord Jesus, this morning we are exuberant, declaring living hope and great joy. For you have risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Your resurrect, resu resurrection isn't just a game changer. It's an everything changer. 
Because of your resurrection, we're no longer afraid to die, for you have conquered death. We're not afraid to live, for we have been raised to eternal life in you, with you, and for you. We're not hapless vagons making our way on earth. We're heaven-destined children of Abba Father. We're no longer a slave to our sins and guilt. We're robed in your righteousness and citizens of heaven. Because of you, we're raised, or less to be pitied than anybody, and more to be grateful than everybody. Lord Jesus, you are the first, fr first fruits and fulfillment of every promise God has made. The new creation, world of redemption and restoration, has now broken into history, and one day will come in fullness. Everything sad will come untrue, and all the earth broken will be made new. Hope defines our future, not hype. Truth, not myth. Peace, not chaos. Joy, not spin. Beauty, not brokenness. Now risen, you reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. All the evil dominions and powers have been defeated and will be fully eradicated. The day of no more death, dying, cancer, crisis, war, worry, meanness, illness is coming. The day, that day cannot arrive soon, but it will arrive most definitely will. Oh, the wonder, marvel, and gratitude that fills our hearts today, Jesus. We are forgiven. We are beloved. We are yours. In light of your compelling love and your measureless grace, free us for spending the rest of our days living and loving to your glory. So very amen, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your triumphant and graceful name.